the Dad Bod Rap Pop with your host, Damon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say. Not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap pod Podcasting live from San Jose, California It is the dad bod rap pod My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One I am joined by my two brethren, uh, the first of which I, I want to introduce is, is a man of many t-shirts, um, <laughs> <laughs> all of which make me deeply envious. Uh, David Ma, what's happening, man? Hey, good to see you guys, man. Um, I think last time we spoke, it was like a thousand degrees in San Jose, so <laughs> yeah. good to see us. Um, not too blissy as last time, and uh, good to see you guys. Just our natural glow. Natural <laughs> exactly because I am pregnant. Uh, <laughs> we also have Nate LeBlanc. What's happening, my man? What's up, guys? Um, very rare opportunity for me last week to listen to my own podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for holding it down. It was very nice to be away from the internet for a week and then come back and just have the show like done, ready posted edited it was it was actually fucking awesome so great job and really enjoyed listening to you guys uh break down la artists in the beginning was waiting for that king t moment and then it came through and i was just like this is so tight obviously i am like the ghost right i would have my things i would want to say but it's it's fucking awesome to hear uh, a completed product that i had nothing to do with and it's like so well done so thank you guys uh, for holding it down oh man your, your, your opinion, spirit your opinion means tons yeah <laughs> sorry yeah. uh and your your spirit was definitely in the room as i thought about here are things that nate would want to say but he can't because <laughs> he's not here so i'm just gonna go yeah, man. Uh, how was your your LeBlanc Fest? Your good, your good, 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 good. Yeah, everything was good. Um, nice to be just in the redwood forest, man. I, I like love that, and it's the most concentrated form of it. And I get to be around my family for you know days at a time, which is has been weird at times in my life, and was actually really pleasant and awesome this year. So. Um, in some ways, I'm glad to be back. I do not enjoy airing out tents and tarps and having to put them away, but what are you going to do? Part of, part of the lifestyle. So, um, but while I was gone, motherfucking yeah. Jesus and Mero broke up. Man. What is going on in the world? Like, let, let's just start with, like, did you guys see this coming? And, like, how do you feel about it? It feels like a divorce, you know, and, <laughs> and it, it's weird because with them, like they sort of timestamp pre-COVID and during COVID for me. Mm. So it's like, wow, that era is officially over. Um, I can't say I'm completely surprised, though. I think like every, you know, super, super creatives just end up like butting heads, you know. Um, and I think if I, I never followed their Twitter that closely, but I guess there were a lot of sort of looming um, um, hints that some things were happening, right? um but i mean i literally watched them every day when it was on like youtube and i kind of i kind of uh weaned myself off once they switched to showtime anyways because i mean frankly i'm there for the banter and we talked about this a little bit before no diss but 
not the greatest interviewers. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, regardless of how big the guest is, they're totally. I just want to hear them. You know how Beavis and Butthead like watch TV and riff. Like that's yeah. what I want them to do forever. Yeah, yeah. that's super funny. Yeah. yeah. So the, the most concentrated form of that is the warm up segment mm-hmm. that they would do. That's the part that's on YouTube. Like my, my wife and I actually did end up subscribing to Showtime, but for Yellow Jackets. I don't know if either of you guys watched that. Very good show. And now I, I just turned to her when they announced it. And I was like, well, I guess we can cancel Showtime until Yellow Jackets comes back. Because, um, Damone, when did you pick up on Jesus and Mero as an entity? Did you listen to the podcast? Was it the Vice era? Like, what is, like when did you pick up on them and what do they kind of mean to you? I picked up on them in the Vice era um, on suggestion of my man, uh, Pablo. Shout out to uh, Peace Shine, Pablo. He was like, you would love these dudes because we were going back on Twitter kind of uh, riffing on some things. And he was like, you would love Jesus and Meryl. I listened to the podcast and I found it to be too fast. Mm-hmm. I, like I would listen to it. It was just, it was, I'm like, these guys are kind of cool, but it's hard for me to follow. I but literally I did not understand show, was, was, what they were talking about they were the saying. one time I listened to right. the podcast. Yeah, it, it just, it moves so fast. It's It sounds like two New Yorkers having a conversation that you're kind of on the outskirts of. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I watched the Vice show and it was kind of distilled down and they're like reacting to clips and things, I was like, this is pure genius. And to your point, Dave, there was a while there of Jesus and Meryl's run coincides with like a really difficult part of my life. Right. So there were, there were nights when I was just like, um, I feel like shit, I'm going to run my top, Jesus and Mero Viceland shows on YouTube for like an hour for 90 totally, minutes and totally. just fucking laugh and like detach from all the things that were happening in my life. Um, because in part, what they mean to me is that um, I probably speak for all of us when I see a part of myself in them, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, they're a little younger than us, but they are dudes of a certain age um, reflecting on the culture in a particular way. They have a particular set of inside jokes that resonate. Um, I think they did a lot to advance the field of jokes about white people. I think, I, I think, I think they, they moved that needle forward, like all the Yakubian jokes. Like they were just getting shit off. That Having a long back. Having a long back, yeah. Like they were getting off jokes that um, previously not had, had not been done. And also another reason why they meant so much to me is because they did it in such a way without relying on the type of put downs that the modern comic kind of like is crying about they can't do anymore. They managed to do it in a way that was funny, that punched up, that like didn't uh, trample on folks. And so I'm with you, Dave, It's, it's totally a divorce and I'm not sure who I'm riding with. As somebody who's gotten divorced, people take sides. And I don't, I don't know whose side I'm on right now, but Interesting, um, I, interesting. I did not see it coming and I, I kind of I'm, I'm in shock like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think will be so missed is like I watch a lot of comedy stuff. And as you guys have noticed, as we do our little comedic segments here, when I think something's funny, I'll be like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But to get a laugh, like an honest belly laugh, they were basically the only consistent comedic entity that had me like tears running down my face laughing at times not everything they said obviously Mm -hmm. but there were times when their wit and their quickness and their um just like the show was hip-hop without being about hip-hop 
in a way that I really, really admired. It just suffused everything that they did and how they dressed and how they talked. Anyway, um, I I was pretty surprised. Um, You can, now that I look back, you can feel a little bit of coolness between Between them. them. Like um, they talked a lot of the Twitter stuff that I've read has said like they, they stopped selling each other's jokes so much in the Showtime show. It's like, if you look back at some of the footage, it's like they're doing their little parts separately. They're not really talking to each other. They're both talking to the camera. I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about this. I I admire what they did. I admire their come up um, greatly. And just like having that hip hop presence in late night was really important to me. One saw one funny tweet that very lightly relates back to the show. Um, They were like, who gets custody of Josh Gondelman? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so you're taking sides uh, uh we are gonna apply for uh for foster parent status for josh gondelman um josh gondelman who has been in on every single podcast in the world including ours shout out josh gondelman yes and i uh, got a new comedy special out but um i kind of feel like i am worried because i think they are a comedic duo i don't look at either of them and go my God, that dude is freaking hilarious. Like Mero selling Jesus's jokes and like mm-hmm. leaning into it with his full fucking belly laugh. Yeah, and at times his great. full body. Like if you his look at their falling out of the chair, <laughs> so many yeah. of them, his feet are up as a, what yeah. does my dad say? Ass over tea kettle. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means, but he says it all the time about sports stuff. That is, usually. That is what that means. Yeah. And it's just, it, so it's kind of like, you know, Jesus's sardonic wit works because Mero responds to it and I don't know it's easy to look back and say I could see it now but I felt like some of that continuity was lost with the Showtime show it, it mm-hmm. little too big in my opinion it just got bigger and I don't know that it got mm-hmm. funnier it just got bigger and then the pandemic when they were kind of like zooming it in um I think that type of shit can start to fray a relationship and also they're making money what keeps us together other is being broke guys <laughs> really <laughs> we need to make enough money where a breakup seems inevitable but um yeah it's it, in some ways it's just ah, it's kind of sad it's like it's oh sad. man it, it bummed me out pretty hard i have to say um because as with anything these days it starts with little trickles of insiders making little comments and mm-hmm. like any good twitter user you have to follow try and follow it back to the source and then yeah. like the next day Showtime dropped the show's not coming back and um, they will be pursuing separate career endeavors. I know Mero is moving into streaming and F1 commentary and F1 related worlds, which F1 is really on the come up in America lately. And I need someone to explain it to me. And um, Jesus is uh, guest hosting Jimmy Kimmel. Oh really? Yeah, he's one yeah. of the replacement hosts because Jimmy Kimmel took the summer off. So mm-hmm. it's it's like when people had those tickets to Chris Rock show like the week after the Oscars. Like, I think there's going to be some pretty big ratings in the urban centers of America to find out what Jesus has to say when he gets the chance to monologue on national television. So mm-hmm. honestly, do wish him the best, and uh, they they really have made me laugh more than probably anyone else besides you guys in uh, the recent couple of years because they're they're like when they hit on a clip that is just right in their wheelhouse oh, or or fascinatingly outside of their wheelhouse. Like, I don't know if you guys watched that one, um, the Sri Lankan got talent clip again. Oh, mm, that's last thing before we move on from that. 
in the little runner on the side of that, they're like, tonight's guests, Gene Gray and Quelle Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from the Quelle Chris episode, episode. Of, Viceland, of the Viceland series. That was crazy. And speaking of Quelle Chris. Oh, my gosh. My man got a huge placement. Huge. That's huge. Amazing. That's amazing. Damone, um, what, what am I talking about? So when Quelle Chris, the last time we talked to him, which is an amazing episode that everybody should listen to. Um, one of our best. One of our best that. episodes. He kind of teased that he had a big placement coming up, but that he mm. couldn't talk about it. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm thinking in my mind, all right, it's it's a rapper of some note, you know, but nothing, you know, nothing of the magnitude of Lizzo, <laughs> the actual, crazy. the actual Lizzo took um, the song Sudden Death and basically kind of repurposed it for her own song, which is okay, not Sudden Death, but, um, but the, the, the visibility kind of jollies that we all get from that of saying that number one, I do believe that Lizzo knows who Quelle Chris is. She's like a product of the Midwest rap scene. There was a time when she was on Quelle Chris's level. That's kind of when I first started to understand who she was before she became um, every white soccer mom's go-to rapper. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, Chris Keys and Quelle Chris got that placement. Um, just super, super happy for them. Uh, I'm here for I'm here for Quelly Chris's bag. Hopefully, he got a huge bag for that. You know what I mean? I'm not the biggest Lizzo fan. Um, I mean, I don't hate her music, but and and I guess it's like a, a sort of a Coldplay reference too. Uh, that's like, kind of my problem is not Lizzo or Quelly Chris. It's like it's a Coldplay interpolation, right? Right. Cover? Oh yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's called Coldplay, and well, she says. And she oh, says some of the lyrics at the beginning. Of, yeah, of, she says something about being into something and listening to a Coldplay song. Oh, I thought it was just one of those things where the rappers nowadays just take one word from the rap. I said Coldplay mm. and they made it. Oh, it's actually has parts yeah. of Coldplay. She oh, uses sure. lyrics from a Coldplay song at the beginning. But, so she uses but, Coldplay lyrics and Quelle Chris and Chris Key's beats. Yeah. I mean. And makes a new song. That's pretty interesting. I yeah. don't know. That's, That's a lot of different stuff going on. Also, uh, it's weird to me that Quelle and Chris don't just call their thing Quelle Chris Keys. <laughs> <laughs> Quelle Keys. Yeah. Save us a little time. Um, they could cross the Christophers. Um, okay. So happy for him. That's Absolutely. super dope. Um, it made me listen to a Lizzo song in 2022. Something yeah. I didn't necessarily think you was didn't possible. have that on your bingo card. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> have a problem with her at all. I actually think she's really funny and an engaging personality. She just like her music just hasn't resonated with me in a long time. Mm-hmm. But have you coached uh, soccer? <laughs> have you taken a Have you taken a five year old to soccer? Because once you do, it's it's all going to click for you. Uh, I want to I want to take uh, a moment to shout out Chris Keys who um, has partnered a lot with Quelle Chris. Quelle Chris shines on piano-based production. Mm. And Chris Keys has provided a lot of that. The song we're referencing is a, is a piano joint. Um, and Chris Keys is actually from Oakland. So, mm-hmm. uh, so i happy for him, happy for Quelle Chris, happy for Lizzo. Um, now it begs the question, who is the next underground phenom that will pop up on a mainstream thing. Dave, what's your best guess? I think Soul from Anticon is gonna, no, I don't know. 
Oh, He's man. gonna guess on a song by the band Soul Collective. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, that was great. That was who, great. Who knows, man? I mean, there's there's so many cats in the, that are in the independent scene that I would love to get fat bags. That I would love yeah. to see sort of you know get reference in the mainstream. I mean, they're all so well deserving. Yeah, Absolutely. it's uh, it makes more sense for a producer, right? It's like it's it's a lot more common, yeah, Cut, yeah for a producer yeah. to get kind of brought up. Yes. at that level um, I, I i need small pro beyonce let's do it, <laughs> let's do it now. i need it when she gets to her boom bat phase she's in a house phase when she gets to her boom bat phase call up small pro yeah that's we never really talked about this demon as our resident uh electronic <laughs> music aficionado do you think it's gonna last beyond this drake and beyonce moment um yeah in the mainstream i don't see this catching on in a major way i had a long argument discussion with my son about drake's honestly never mind which which i like a lot um but he is like what the hell is this uh and i was like he titled it honestly never mind because he knew you wouldn't get it um are you still I, listening to that absolutely oh you're the one guy huh yeah i guess i guess so <laughs> i guess so i mean it's it's a house record and so if, if you didn't come for a house record then you know you're, you're not gonna like it but I don't see it catching on in a major way because I do feel like um, house at his best is not a pop thing. My, my son was like, oh, this is just kind of boring. It's like the same beat over and over again. Mm-hmm. Oh and I'm God. like, it sounds like my dad when I first started playing him beat based music. Right. And it's kind of like, <laughs> well, it's going to change. No. <laughs> if you like four on the floor, if you like, uh, if you like that kind of house sound and aesthetic, it's great. But I think the people who like it were just, you know, everybody's like, we were already here. There's nothing new about this. And I don't see a lot of replication. I mean, the pop stars of the day always have a house remix. Like Dua Lipa has a K Tronada remix. All, all, you know what I mean? Everybody who does a major pop record gets a, a house remix. I don't see it going too much farther than this. Uh, but it would be interesting. Um, I'd be here for a Rihanna house record. I don't know. I'd just be here for a Rihanna record. Riri, I know. what's going on? <laughs> Stop selling my girlfriend panties. Make a record. Well, well she just dropped a baby. So True that ASAP baby. Shut up. <laughs> um, so, fellas, we have been spending a lot of uh, this weekend, the time leading up to this, checking out the book Word is Bond by our guest this week, um, Psalm One. Um, obviously, we're going to let her speak for herself when we get to the interview in a moment. But um, where do you, wh- how do you think about this in terms of the recent books we've been reading, which have been a little bit more biographical, theoretical? Right. This is an autobiography from a currently practicing mm-hmm. artist. Uh, hit me with some some thoughts, uh, Damone. Uh, really unflinching. I think what makes this different from uh, some of the things that we've read is uh, there's a certain level of distance, right? Uh, Lance Scott Walker's book about DJ Screw reveals a lot through interviews, but he is an outside observer coming to kind of give you the lay of the land for about a person in the scene. With uh, Her Word is Bond, uh, Psalm is really digging in a deeply personal uh, memoir. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Um, Women in hip hop have been, you know, notoriously discriminated against, silenced um, at the highest levels. But maybe what we've never talked about is like even in the underground kind of backpack scene, uh, the type of sexism and misogyny that happens and kind of 
that experience. So I think um, it's really interesting and important from that perspective. Her as a queer artist who was in the closet for most of her career, I think it's I think it's important on that level to be uh, telling this story. But woo, it's you know I I kind of the little bit I read I was like oh you probably could have got away with saying less like she, <laughs> she really laid it out there and uh, um so I, I admire the the courage and the vulnerability. Um, I think you guys probably covered this last time Psalm was on and I was uh, I think sick that day or something but um, we have famously played basketball with her Uh, we played a pickup game with her when she was in the bay one time Um, (laughs) I didn't realize until I read the book Dave that she was living in San Francisco for a time and that her connection with casual and Oakland was both so strong so positive and so meaningful in her career as kind of her first big placement did how how aware were you of all that stuff um i was somewhat aware of it um my uh ex-girlfriend or now ex-girlfriend uh lived in the mission and uh, would see some all the time and actually uh, alan would also say yeah like we're trying to work with Psalm and casual and they've been talking about that for a minute so i did know of her presence in the bay um yeah, that, that day is just so funny to think. I mean, when we were playing pickup ball with her and I, I don't even know if she remembers it, but it's definitely memorable to me because I mean, you know, I was a fan of her work to begin with, you know. Um, I, regarding the book though, I mean, how it recently, I mean, Damone mentioned Micah Nine and the DJ Strew book as well. And um, I, this one, I mean, certainly hits different. I mean, because one, it's, you know, written by a woman and um, there's a sense of empowerment you know, through all of its pages, um, the mention of drugs, you know, tough, I think is, you know, for, for me always sort of uh, eye-opening. And um, I think it's just a very enjoyable read. I mean, it's, it's part memoir and part, you know, like empowerment, you know, and um, to hear her sort of, you know, uh, get a sense of um, uh, catharsis from this, I think is amazing. Yeah. I, I, I won't go so far as to quite say this, but I'll, I'll, introduce it into the conversation it's a little bit about the dark underbelly of the underground scene like Mm -hmm. it's a little bit about the things that have been left unsaid you have all these wordy verbose people it's about the shit they don't talk about you know what i mean that's kind of my takeaway about a little bit more than half of the book in a single sitting today so it's um you knew those tour vans smelled bad and were full of bad jokes and probably some casual sexism but to hear it all laid out and to Mm -hmm. hear um what it was like for her to be the only woman in the room uh most of the time it's like you know i've I've been to a lot of underground rap shows in my life seeing a girl there is pretty pretty uncommon pretty uh, damn rare you're like whose girlfriend is that right i know right right. and then yeah, yeah there's there's sometimes uh what I'll call like the bachelor party effect or the bachelorette party effect where like there's a random group of girls and they're like, they thought they were going to hip hop night. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. This is a souls <laughs> of mischief show. Like <laughs> Those are not the same things. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know, I think um, everybody, especially in underground rap is the protagonist in their own story. Right. So we've heard a lot of uh, blowhard men's moralize talk about all these things on record. And I think what Psalm has done through this book and kind of through her social media presence over the last couple of years is really bring to bear that a lot of these cats are as shitty as Kodak Black. Like, let's, Mm -hmm. you know, let's be real about it. The underground is not immune to the toxicity and behavior of, uh, of, of shitty dudes. And so um, I think she touches on that in a, 
in a smart way, uh, mm -hmm. in a way that's not like she doesn't lean into like incriminating anybody personally, right. but definitely talks about the culture uh, that existed. And, you know, I, I kind of think now in, in retrospect, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could totally see. I see these characters, even though I didn't come up with Psalm. Right. Um, I see these characters in my own story and I'm like, ah, man, that's, you know, that shit was kind of fucked up. And so I, I applaud her for like tackling uh, those issues. Definitely. Given, given everything you've said, Damone, I mean, it, it just makes me think, I mean, besides this sort of her talking about herself and, and her stories, I mean, it, it's a brave thing for her to do. Absolutely. 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 Um, so without further ado, let's get into our interview with rapper, educator, chemist, and now Ooh. author, Crystal Psalm One Bowen. Dad Bud Rap Bud. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week is no different. Rejoining the program from Chi Town, we yep. got Psalm One. What's happening? I'm good, man. I'm starting to become a busy person again. So hey. it's a good thing. You know, you ask for, you know, moments to be busy again. And then you look at your inbox one day and you're like, oh, we. So <laughs> taking Careful. it a day at a time, but I'm happy to be like presenting new work in different ways. Yeah, yeah, you got you got the book out right now. Uh, her word is bond, uh, climbing up the Amazon charts. Um, right. So, talk to us a little bit. You you teased the book when you were on here last time. Let's start by talking a little bit about like how does that feel just to have a book out, to have like a uh, a printed narrative, your story. I've worked very hard to make sure my story is never told, but to have all your stuff <laughs> written down, evidence, uh, mm -hmm. how does it feel for it to be out and how has this kind of book run been for you? This shit is scary. It's scary. Cause I wrote it, it, it started, it started as something else. And um, it started really um, me trying to flex my music journalism mm. sort of, you know, those legs, so to speak, you know, and um, because I've written reviews on other people's music and, and stuff like that. And I've always had fun doing that. And I stand so many writers on Twitter. I don't know if y'all see, but I'm always standing a music writer on, on Twitter. Um, so I wanted to do something that was sort of encapsulating that feeling that those that mid 90s got my first backpack that is only you know it's not for school it's for the culture <laughs> you know that feeling that vibe of just being like a young person who is completely enthralled with this genre that is going through its golden era you know mm. and I think that's a very special place to be um so I started with that year 93 and then again in 98 and that's kind of where the book starts it's me talking about those two years of hip-hop but also those are my first you know kind of like high school years my first and last high school year so it's very those are very important times you know what I mean so but it started once I got to my college years it started to become something else because in college is where my insane relationships started um really post-college <clears throat> but it had a lot to do with 
um, my career. Um, I've always, I've always talked about my love life, even if people didn't, didn't hear it. I've always talked about my love life and my music. And I think I've been in some, a few public situations that were like, what the hell is she doing? You know what I mean? And also just talking about being a queer rapper and being in the closet for like most of my career. I thought it was important to tell these stories. Um, kind of got a, got carried away with um, kind of just digging deeper. I didn't, there were some things that I felt cringe about, but there are a lot of things that I felt like, no, nah, this is cool, like, because this is what I've been through. Like, this isn't something that I'm ashamed of, you know, and actually writing a lot of that stuff, I was just like, what was I ashamed of to begin with? You know, everybody has fucked up things in their lives, terrible relationships, things that they, that they got wrong, things that they got right. And I think in, in the spirit of posting your L's as well as your W's, I think that this book does that in a good way because the book to me is a W, but it's full mm. of L's <laughs> for my life. <laughs> oh, you know? the, the, the dichotomy. Um, on that note, how did you deal with like mentioning real life people? There are, you know, it's a deeply personal book. There are people in your life. How did you go about um, kind of describing those folks and where is the line in terms of, is it fair to be like, you know, X person showed up this way in my life and I'm going to give you their full name and what they do. Didn't do that. The people who gave me the most shit in my life, their names have been changed. Mm. And even in the beginning of the book, I preface it by saying like, I'm not trying to ruin anybody's life here. Even if you try to ruin mine, um, there are people that I, that I named specifically, but most of the people that I named specifically were not like terrible people to me. Um, I named rhyme sayers as an entity because that's what I've always done when it comes to speaking about them. Um, and then there's, there are a few of my um, ex-partners that I did not name by name. So some of those names have been changed. So the spiciest shit, the, that's not their real name. And I'm not trying to dry snitch. You know, there's some drugs in there. You know, <laughs> drugs were sold and consumed. We're not, we're not dry snitching. Well, you know, um, you mentioned relationships and just people and stories. And we, I, we'd be remiss not to bring up Alan, you know, uh, AKA mm -hmm. Overflow, AKA Albert Jenkins, who's, you know, um, near and dear to us as well. I just want to take a second to just talk about, you know, or just have you talk about when you guys met and mm -hmm. sort of, because um, yeah, that seemed to be like one of the more um, positive relationships. Yeah, know, yeah, huge part of the book, <laughs> huge positive relationship, absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, highlight Death of the Frequent Flyer too, because I feel like it's totally um, slept on as well. So can you just talk a little bit about AJ and how y'all yeah. met and, that, and the project and all that? Yeah, shout out to AJ Overflow. Um, we met through Pugsley Adams. Um, we mm. met um, because Pugsley had kind of taken me under his wing after college and showed me around the Chicago scene. And he just started getting beats from a young producer named Jubilee, which was Overflow's name before Overflow. And we met and I remember we instantly clicked because we just started arguing about music, but we had a lot <laughs> of the same, we had a lot of the same sentiments, but the things that we argued over, they were just really spirited and like, just non-confrontational arguments about music. And some people get really like upset about stuff, you know, like, what him? you're like, come on, man. Like, it's not yeah, that, that sounds like AJ. <laughs> so <clears throat> him and I just became friends because 
we were just trying to work. It, it mm. was that. And we both felt the same way about like where we wanted our music to go, like because we had already had like recorded songs that people liked, at least in our little circle of hip hop. We had, you know, jams for like, you know, our little tribe. And then we wanted to, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to explore new sounds. And I think that just where I was in my career and the readiness of like, just, okay, come, come here now. We're just going to sit here for hours and hours, talk about music and then may maybe make some. Uh, AJ was able to get like great songwriting out of me early. And that was something a lot of producers weren't really necessarily able to do. He was really producing me. And, you know, he would give me rules like no lyrics in the booth, things like that. And I think that's what made uh, Death of Frequent Flyers so good. And so, so good, like um, as a as a as a next level of my catalog, because it was all from memory. It was all very, very much orchestrated before even stepping into the booth. And AJ was just a great executive producer on that. Mm. Right on. Um, spent a lot of the day today with the book. It's like we we already hung out for like a couple hours and now we get <laughs> to hang out and talk personally. It's very much in your voice. And I'm wondering, like, how did you go about writing this? Did you take months off and get a cabin in the woods? Like, did you just do mm -hmm. it in between all the many various things that you're always doing? Like, how did you find the time to commit to this huge project? I said I wanted to write a book when I was like 17. And then in 2019, I was still kind of like, I had started a couple of ideas um, for books, but then Jessica Hopper, really um, important and really dope music journalist, she wrote a book and it was like extremely inspiring to me. And just one day on Twitter, she was asking for book, book pitches. And um, long story short, she didn't take my book pitch, but she, she kind of passed me through Haymarket. Um, which was awesome because they said yes. Um, so 2019 August is when we said when Haymarket said yes, we, we want to do a book with you. Let's start the, you know, the process. It wasn't until maybe like sep September of 2019 I started writing, and then they started giving deadlines um, early in 2020. So like right before the pandemic hit, I was hitting kind of those first deadlines for that first manuscript or, or draft or whatever. Then the pandemic hit, obviously, and had a lot of time to write. But those first couple of months of the pandemic, I didn't write anything. It was just so weird. I didn't know what, what to do. Um, and then um, right around fall of 2020, the person who brought me to Haymarket was embroiled in his own sort of controversy. And um, that gave us an opportunity at Haymarket to talk about this. Cause I was like, yo, this is a whole book about like this shit, you know, sexual abuse and assault and like being quiet about things. And I was like, it, I just can't go from talking about this in the book to like jumping into like being this book being associated with someone who was like getting called out. And it's like true. So that was an opportunity to kind of stop production, renegotiate. And then it, and then once we re renegotiated, it was like the end of 2020, so much stuff had happened, like the Rhyme Sayers call out and the boycott had happened. So that was stuff that I hadn't written about in the book yet, because I was done with the book before all that stuff happened. 
So when they had to renegotiate based on this dude, <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a lot more to talk about now. So I spent a few months um, rewriting sort of the end parts, but then I started having to take mental health breaks after that. Mm. It was a lot. It's a lot, um, especially those final chapters. Um, that literally, that that is the stuff that sent my mental health into a, you know, a tailspin, you know, I was mm. kind of circling the drain with my heart and soul around those times so writing that stuff again was really intense like I would write mm-hmm. stuff and just like leave and go cry <laughs> Angel, my partner would be, just be like what the hell I'd be like I'm just reading the shit that I wrote like it was just a lot you know so it was cathartic when I first finished my like first draft I said what did what did I just do like I was so scared as soon as I turned it in and I was like it's done done I was like yo, I don't know if I should have did that. Um, but then reading back the edits and reading uh, talking to the editors and talking to the people who were like, you know, getting the book ready for print, it was all very good, like feedback. And everybody just kept saying like, you're so honest, you're so honest. Like, and I'm like, so I got to just do this because like, I guess everybody's lying. Like, I don't know. what. The- <laughs> like, I would like to tell some truth. And I, and I do understand that like, some of these years I was high. Some of these years I was mad bitter. Some of these, some of these stories don't happen the same way from the other person's point of view. And I think I tried to do a good job of explaining that and understanding that these sort of stories are very layered. And my, it's not my way or the highway. I'm still kind of finding my way and learning as, as I go. So this book is pretty much a testament to like that, the the first part of my career, you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. somebody asked me, am I going to write another? I mean, I would have to live another maybe 20 years. <laughs> so I feel like it'd be a short book if I started writing, you know what I mean? If I started yeah. now, I'd be like, well, in 2022. Yeah, it's like the thing they say it. about albums, like you spend your whole life making your first album and then your second one you have to make in six months or whatever. I think yeah. it's a cliche about albums, but it's actually true for books. It's like you just... You yeah. need the you need the experiences, but anyway, I just unmuted to thank you for your candor and your vulnerability, yeah. and for being honest with us and the reading public. And um, it's you know it's a very entertaining and brisk read, not without its um, heartbreaking moments. So just like you know, thank you for doing it. Thank you for reading it. I know it. I I feel like when people like there are people who were very close to me and they're reading it and they're just like this is intense, man. And I, it's, it's interesting to hear what people who don't know me as closely, closely feel about it. Cause I, I definitely know that there are some, there are definitely some heartbreaking moments in there and definitely mm-hmm. some like, what the fuck is she doing? Like I even had my partner, <laughs> my partner was reading it. And like the other day she was like, why did you stay? Why did you stay? And I was just like, I thought it was going to work. You know what I mean? It was totally. And she knows me, you know what I mean? She was there for some of it. And she still was just like, Jesus Christ, after she read some of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so very vulnerable. You're, you're very out there with this story. What's, what's the response been generally? You've been doing kind of events and different things around the book. What, what are, what are people saying to you about it? Um, they're just, they're saying it's spicy. They're saying it's good. (laughs) I think a lot of people are like, you know, they have that, like that little smirk, like, damn, bitch, you really like aired out a lot of shit. I'm just like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, this is this is who I am and I think that a lot of people had a lot of commentary and a lot of like things to say about my life and my choices based on like how close you've been um 
following my career, the whole rapper chicks era, there was a lot of talk about like what I was doing and what I was doing right or wrong. And, you know, for better or worse, that is a huge learning experience for me. I wouldn't be the MC or the woman I am now having not gone through some shit like that. Um, so I, I still, you know, it's not like an album where someone can listen to it and then get like right back to you that day. I mean, I have had some people who are like super speed readers or like, I, I finished it in two days and then they give me a book report and that's awesome. But I, I feel like um, in a few months, as more people sit with it, you know, it's going to be more comprehensive. But for the most part, I'm getting very positive reviews on it. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, you know, you, you touched a little bit on the process and, you know, you mentioned, you know, having to uh, take the, those mental health breaks. And I'm just wondering, like, how did it feel when you wrote that last sentence and was just like, I'm done, done? I like cried. Oh, really? <laughs> I was, it was super like cathartic. I just felt like <clears throat> I felt great about it. And then what's so funny, you think you wrote, wrote the last words and they're like, this is the final edit. And then it's like three edits later. And they're just like, this, no, this is the final edit. So mm -hmm. it, it took a lot of rereading those, those parts and being cool with it. And then, you know, with a book, once the ink dries, you can't, you cannot go back. You know what I mean? This isn't like a Kanye situation where he puts out a, <laughs> an album and then like the next day he's like, I fixed it. You're just like, what? Like, okay, fine. But yeah, for this, it was like, it was like one of those things, like, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are we done here? You know, so um, it was, it was really, 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 um, it just felt like, <laughs> it felt like taking like that huge poop in the morning, you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> it took, it, it felt like that, you know what I mean? So. And there is the episode title. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> huge poop in the morning with someone. Um, you're going to be on the Stony Island Podcast Network a lot this week. You're on. Man, I'm all through, up and through here, man. Yep, it's a Psalm 1 Island. Um, uh, <laughs> so my question is, what was Mike like in high school? <laughs> oh, he was a dreamboat. All the, all the girls wanted to be with him. Like, at least all the girls around me, they're little Mike. Because it would be like, I was friends with them. And even though my first boyfriend was in that crew as well, shout out Misfit. Um, I wasn't there for the, I wasn't there for the boys. I was there, there for the bars. So for me, hearing a lot of like, a lot of, a lot of girls would just be like, oh, could you give him my number? No, bitch. Like, get out of my face. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm here for hip hop. And if you're not here for hip hop, I don't know what to tell you. But Mike and I weren't really friends until after high school because we didn't really have any classes together. But when we like cipher together and stuff like that, it was always love. Um, and I, I believe that like, once we graduated high school and, and you know, when our separate ways for college, when we would come back to Chicago for those summers and those holidays, that's when we became like closer. And it was a bunch of, it was like a group of us and we were all hanging out all the time. But, you know, Mike was a smart kid. To me, to me, it was like, uh, he probably thought I was quiet. I thought he was quiet, but it wasn't until like you get in the cypher, you'd be like, yo, this person is amazing. Like someone asked me the other day, they were like, oh, was your crew ever like not tight? And I was like, no, like I'm not even bragging. You know, it was just kind of like everyone kind of had natural talent and a lot of people were practicing like on the phone and stuff like, you know, 
giving bars to your friends before you like preview them. So um, yeah, he was cool, but yeah, nothing, nothing too spicy about him, you know? <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, it's kind of speaking of your upbringing in Chicago, I was listening to Open Mike Eagle and Rhymefest kind of talk about uh, the Chicago rap scene that, that basically made them. Um, so many talented artists come out of that city. What, what is the secret sauce? Why, why are there so many incredibly talented uh, rappers that seem to come from Chicago in your opinion? It's the heralds and it's the hate, I think. You know, the combination of mild sauce and hot <laughs> hate, I think. Makes hot hate. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I think it's just so, like from blues to jazz to house to just like so much different, even like indie rock, you know what I mean? Like there's so many great musicians here and so many great writers here that I think that certain kids come up in certain areas and it's just full of that culture, you mm -hmm. know? And um, I, I think I think with, with, with kids like us and in our, in our crew, we, you know, we all went to Whitney Young, which is an event, you know, of advanced high school or whatever. And I think the intellectualism there was pushing us to say bigger things, say more poignant things, pushing us to use bigger words, but also know what they meant. Uh, mm. the, the, the putting together of these long stretches of metaphor, like these was like exercise, but it was something that we, it was like mandatory for us to do. And I think that uh, a lot of kids, you know if if, it, if you got a lot of dope kids in a cypher like it's gonna push everybody to yeah. be better so well you you know as we sort of um round this out here um your book you mentioned jay zone's uh root for the villain as as yeah. an important book that offered sort of career advice as a cautionary tale of acceptance and i was wondering if if there was a chapter that you can just from your book that that one can just crack open and dive into which one would that be if you could just give one chapter i like chapter six okay. because it's not super long i think the chapters get real thick toward the end because once the story gets intense it's a lot to read chapter mm. six i'm still kind of like first experiencing the road life and it's mm. a little it's a light it's a lighter chapter before it starts to get a little bit more serious and there's some good humor in that too okay with all that you've been through in the industry, the indie rap industry, whatever that means, and all right. the different <laughs> twists and turns that your music has taken and your life has taken, do you still love rapping? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Will you, uh, do you think the book will serve as like the end of a chapter or the beginning of something new? Have you thought about like how to I think, I think it's play both. off of it? And I, we're announcing an album this week. Hey. So I wrote I wrote an album last year and I was going to put it out last year. And then uh, my homie Custom that did all the beats, he was like, why would you just throw this out? Like, please don't, you know, please don't. And so I let him and another friend of mine convince me to put it out on a, a local label here in Chicago that I really, I really, I really fuck with a lot. So um, going back on my word about never fucking with a label again, but I'm fucking <laughs> got out filthy. They do a lot of great stuff. Um, but they 
they encouraged me to to try something different because they they recognize my Bandcamp strategy. They recognize that I'm able to sell music on my own, but they really wanted to work with me. And they're really excited about this album because it's solo stuff. It's not big silky stuff and it's mm. post book stuff. So, you know, you, you kind of hear the, that post book song, you know? Okay. A more, okay. A lot more confident, a lot more confident. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right. So her word is bond is out now on Haymarket Books. Yep. And what I love is that uh, as a Haymarket Books fan, you can get all your socialist screeds and her word is bond. They know what's up. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on the program. Just love everything you're doing. And hopefully we can talk again. That was our interview with Psalm One. Um, I would go so far as to say friend of the program, right? Certainly oh, for sure. Friends. Definitely. For Definitely. sure. She took Dave to the post. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> she broke Dave down in the painted area. I mean, she had me on ice skates, man. <laughs> um, super cool of her to come back. Um, I know we interviewed her not too long ago, but um, she's always welcome um, mm-hmm. to come on and chop it up about hip hop with us. I actually you know, kind of burned a question on, uh, I did want to know what Mike was like in high school. He was the homecoming king. Did you guys know that? I, I wanted yeah. to say that. Yeah, I wanted to say that, but she was kind of teeing it up. But yeah, He said that on a recent podcast episode and I was like, okay, wow. okay, That's that explains is. a lot. I, I um, mean, super gregarious dude, right? But, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but part of me did want to uh, pull on the thread that she stated at the beginning of the interview and we can talk about it here is that it's it's a it's not just a book about her and her career it's a book about hip-hop and there's a lot of um Mm -hmm. analysis of other records both uh, mainly from those two years 93 and 98 but as you like comb through the pros there's just name drops and references in the way that we all do like she's a very serious head Mm -hmm. in addition to being an artist and contributor to the culture so um it was just cool to hear her uh, in the book breakdown why some things were important is just like it just it sounded familiar you know what I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> um what's it called the uh did did anything she said surprise you guys not not really but again I haven't fully finished the book you know I mean she was just a, as articulate and sort of honest as I thought she would be you know um the whole analogy about the first uh, big shit of the of the day perfect <laughs> the type of imagery that we live for i think um i was a bit surprised um you know she's very much been on record about her feelings about rhyme sayers records and and how she was treated by them and i feel like um i feel like she's she's a little bit gracious when she has a platform Mm-hmm. She can really dig into that and, and she does it. It's it's in the book, so you can you can read about it. But um I was a little bit surprised that she didn't go harder on that angle and not so much surprised, but I respected her position on the people who did her the dirtiest. She's like, I didn't name them by name. 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like she had the opportunity to, and I'm always fascinated about that with authors of memoirs and like, right. um, I haven't lived a memoir worthy life, but I always think about like, how would you do that? Like, how would you do that? And then you have to see the pe- people later. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think uh, I, I respected her kind of approach on that. You got to charge it to the game, right? It's like, hey, <laughs> I got a book deal. You're a part of my life. I have to write about it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, she was saying that people were already commenting on how spicy it was, but I mean, you get the feeling it could have been much spicier. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every sure. every one of those events that is, um, I don't want to say glossed over. That's not accurate. It's uh, every event that is described could have been a you know a chapter in and of itself. Like these long nights, these mm-hmm. tours. She's like, I toured with X, Y, Z, and one of them will be like MF Doom. It's like, write, write a book about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, just that night, yeah. Yeah, there's so really. much to uh, to unpack there. Um, it, it's interesting that she brought up um, J-Zone's route for the villain mm-hmm. um, early in the book, in the introduction or foreword. Or she has a part where she's like, sets the, the ground rules yep. for the book that I thought was really cool and very modern um, way to do it. So the J-Zone thing that he did when he was writing that I, you know, when you read the whole book in uh, basically a couple of sittings, you see rappers just have like phrases running around their head and J-Zones are very rooted in like a 70s time frame. <laughs> like he grew up watching like old TV and listening to funk records. And now you see that in his second act as a funk mm-hmm. drummer and Psalm is uh, closer to our age. And so yeah. her her phrases and her sets of references are just more modern, but she does the same thing where it's like, it's not like a poetic language, but it's a very reference heavy, uh, dense phrasing that's also kind of breezy and moves quickly through time. And that's, mm. you know, a big jump. Very hip hop. Thoughts that I have not fully formed, obviously, but it's very hip hop style of writing. Absolutely. And uh, I feel like, you know, um we we need more of it we talked about this on this program i think maybe the groundbreaking part of this is i don't know that we've had an underground mm-hmm. rapper um detail their journey like this yeah you know what i mean so I, I think interesting part of it is like what she signed to rhyme sayers when she had a deal on the table for hyro and she quit her job that's crazy. And, and it's like nowadays, I, don't, I mean, no one's getting signed to anything anymore. Or they're just doing their own thing. But it's like you would keep your job for as long as humanly possible. Totally. Right. Totally. Man, that's that's great. Yeah, that's uh, there was another time in underground hip hop. Yeah, you, totally. Yeah, and yeah. she uh, she mentioned that she has her new album coming out on Filthy, which is dope. Um, I know that's a Chicago imprint they did the um def c and august fanon record mm. um we dressed the city with our names which we were all love, big fans of love um last year but um since i was out of town i was not able to attend damone please tell me how did your event our event the event Slapbox go Slapbox 2022 uh as you know because you listen to the commercials that i put into the program uh slap box went down last saturday it was a great event. Weezmatic uh, did a set and kind of, it was a coming out party for his project 86 Mongoose. Me and Dave interviewed Weezmatic about the kind of process of coming up with that album. 
And we got to sample like some of the local beat culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so folks who are familiar with things like low end theory um, and all the kind of uh, things happening in, in Southern California around beat culture. This was our opportunity to bring together some of the local um, beat makers to kind of do their thing. We also had a record swap. It was it was a really cool day. And I think the the headline for this event was like, community right like we've been kind of like sheltered and in place for a long time and uh just having the the record consuming community and the beat scene kids cross pollinate which Mm -hmm. you know that was my thought with with doing this but i didn't know how it would land um and it was super cool it was it was really cool i think uh Tico and Weezmatic really have these really charismatic ways of presenting their beats and like tweaking and manipulating and like they're scratching it's like this this great uh spectrum of turntablism to beat making and they're kind of like going between them so it it was a great time we had a we had a good turnout uh dave you were there what what were your reflections on on the event i actually loved it i mean i make a point to try to make community events like that i mean there's just an overwhelming sense of um wholesomeness to that and i just loved it i mean and you know specifically watching um wheezy and tico um perform live i mean i that style of that that style of performance is really cool because it's like you're watching them almost like workshop things live you know Mm -hmm. real time so it's really cool and they're both you know mad professionals in the game and um just from the um uh the record swap um uh, perspective that was really cool too I mean a lot of people came and a lot of people bought records sellers were happy Man, buyers records. were happy I mean yeah. AJ bought like thousands of dollars worth of records from some other seller you nice. know so yeah. that was really cool to see um, as you know I was nursing a demonic hangover that day. <laughs> um, so I was a little dispirited at the beginning that's just because I was dehydrated but after that man I thought it was great and but I did leave a little early and I'm really pissed that I missed your epic freestyle demo yeah, so uh, so uh, full disclosure, um, Wheezy was about to go on, and I, you know, who knows how many edibles I had by then, but <laughs> I was like, I was like, Wheezy, you need to give me 16 bars in your set. I'm like, no pressure, but also do it. Yeah, and I then I then I walked away, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's gonna do it. <laughs> um, so he he brought me up during his set. We had a cool moment of of freestyling which is, we actually captured. We have audio from the entire show, which I think I'm going to turn into a Patreon segment that because uh, we did a live interview with Weezmatic and talked about 86 Mongoose, Dave and I. Um, and then we have uh, the, basically the entire show recorded. of All the producers that performed, Jay Gatsby, up-and-coming local rapper, performed yeah. with Mint Beats. Um, so we have all the sets uh, recorded, and I'm definitely kind of starting to work on um, an episode, which will probably go on Patreon, uh, where you can kind of hear some of the dope shit that went down. But let's give folks just a little preview of, uh, of this upcoming segment for our Patreon. This is just a small sampling of what went down at Slapbox 2022. San Jose, you out there? Much love to everybody. Yeah, about rap, I'm new to the groove. Tico, someone, Mint Beach, Jake Asby, y'all motherfuckers are crazy. 
my mind, soul, and my body. Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my body. Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my body. See the society trying to eat the army. Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my body. Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my body. See the society trying to keep the shot you Separate the weak from the opposite. Leap hard to creep them Brooklyn streets. It's all nothing. Fuck all that bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sound like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. Then the stop when I fall the plot. Neighbors call the cops and they heard mad shots. Saw me in the drop. Three and a quarter. Slaughter. Electrical tape around the door. Old school, new school. Need to learn though. I burn baby Burn like disco inferno. Burn slow like blunts with yayo. Peel more skins than Idaho potatoes. Diggins know the lyrical element's taking place. Fucking with BIG, it ain't safe. I make your skin chase. Rashes on the masses. Bumps and bruises. Blunts and lambs. Big Papa smash fools, bad fools. They get mad because I know the cash rules. Everything around me, two block lines. Any motherfucker whispering about mines. And I'm Crookless Finest. You rewind this uh, bad behind uh, us. Uh, we proceed to give you what you need. Ready to dive on The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard drama, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling? You know it's time again. D, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They play the music, it's time they play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show, the sound. Wow, that's dope, dude. It's a really clean recording. Um, there's a lot of talent in this area that's kind of unsung, so I appreciate you, uh, you know, putting on your curatorial hat and um you know bringing that to the people one thing i did see in uh, some of the social media posts that was just extremely wholesome to pick up on dave's thread is uh wheezy had his two uh extremely cute daughters out there totally. selling yeah. merch uh they are somehow already uh like filipina grandmas like filming with an ipad uh they're just like <laughs> the entire working, set like his entire yeah, set. working the tables just being so charming yeah. the whole family was involved that's so dope um i i you know i've been friends with aaron for 20 years and uh to watch him evolve as a man and a person and he's one of the funniest people i've ever met and extremely talented so it's just so cool that we can do all this stuff together as adults um so very wholesome very awesome i uh, wish i could have been there it was also the quelle chris show that night so I if know, i was in town and we weren't doing something i would have been there i'm like bummed to have missed that um, but hopefully it'll all come back around and we will get a chance to connect with him again and um yeah, we're we're doing big things. It's just a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I, I I walked away with the sense that uh, the podcast and the community that uh, exists around it, also Needle to the Group Records, which is a, a sponsor of the event, um, we kind of got something going. I think that's that was my one of my main takeaways. Uh, shout out to to Weezmatic. Eighty Six Mongoose is available for sale right now uh, on Bandcamp, so you guys should definitely 
check that out. And I'm thinking, guys, we can do an event once every six months. We did the East Side Record Swap in December, Slapbox in, uh, in July. Um, nice. If you organize everything and I just have to show up, that's true. We could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Uh, yeah. So this has been Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, we are part of the Stony Island podcast network which this week uh features a lot of interviews with psalm one one on secret skin with open mike eagle her high school friend uh one with us uh maybe she'll pop up on the questions trivia probably not fatherhoods but i don't want to be <laughs> who knows uh, you know <laughs> weird about gender i have no idea um some cool things coming with stony island i hope you guys are listening to the other shows um i know blueprint was on secret skin a couple weeks ago and him and mike got to talk about the ins and outs of um indie rap stardom in a way i i cannot get enough of that like i would listen to yeah them, it's, it's so good tell so good. their stories um just honestly as much as i could um you can find us on twitter at dad bod rap pod on ig at dad bod rap pod uh please join our patreon your support means the world to us um on there, you have more unfettered access to our kind of unedited, um, just more, just uncut kind of tips. Just more. It's just, just more. more. If you want more dad, more dad, rap, more bod, yeah. more rap, more bod. <laughs> uh, you get it. You get it all there. Nate just dropped a fly sporadic episode joint. Uh, so you guys should definitely uh, tap in to get that. I'm doing playlists every week or so. On there, we have special segments. The slap box segment is going to be on there. If you want to hear a, a dope kind of live beat making uh, show slash interview. So that's basically where we put all of our uh, dad bod rap pod extras, bonus material, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only $5 a month. Yeah, you pay nothing. You pay more for stupider things. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with this inflation, you might pay more for a head of cauliflower uh, <laughs> exactly and i have to give a special shout out i'm not going to name names or get into all of the very wholesome very heartwarming very frankly enriching things that are happening but this time around when i sent out a bunch of dad bod rap pod stickers a bunch of people sent stuff back and That's so awesome. i'm right. like i'm like getting stuff in the mail all the time the mail is fucking awesome dude it's amazing how efficient it is and how well it works, and it's absurd that the Republicans were trying to destroy it for the last. I, I, I'm about to say, save save the USPS. That's yeah, totally. Media mail, it's your friend. Um, I have a big stack of things to read. I think I might have a pen pal. Um, <laughs> someone wrote me a letter and like asked questions, and I'm like, I, I can't answer this in an email, right? Like, I gotta <laughs> wow. write this in a letter. No. I hope yeah, he has yeah. a wow. way to read terrible handwriting. But anyway, when, when's uh, he getting out of prison? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do it. He in said the midst he didn't of the Civil it. War. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right this has been dad bod rap pod uh we're here every thursday and we appreciate each and every single one of you peace damone carter it is your chance now hey 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 Hey, 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 hey. Don't act hard, just be easy. 
pulling their cars, it's me and Wheezy. I must have superpowers on my shirts like five different types of flowers. Get a calculator, do the math. I do the spit, he do the scratch, and it hard to catch. Straight on the loose, do tape, 86 mongoose. Call a truce of the Crips and Bloods. He's out here doing it in the mud. That's where we came from, how we came up. This our thing, this is San Jose, bruh. Watch us lean back, make the screen crack, and we mean that. Silicon Valley hustle, my man Wee's mad and coming back in the struggle like that. Like that, 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 like that. It's 86 Mongoose.